Good morning, Fairfax. Good to see all of you this morning. Um, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Kyle, one of the pastors on staff, uh, usually hanging out with our middle school and high school kids. Um, and it's great to be with you guys um, when I get the chance to be here. Um, fun for me. I hope that we have a good conversation this morning. Um, hope that God has some things to speak to you as he's been speaking to me um, about these verses all week long. Um, I want to start, though, there was something that's going to date me, but I guess it's just how it goes. Um, how many of you guys grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons? Raise your hand if you watch. Yes, okay. Even applause for that, see? Don't you wish you could just watch Saturday morning cartoons like all the time and do that? Um, okay, so I did too, obviously, okay. And this is the part that's going to date me. My favorite Saturday morning cartoon was Speed Racer. Anybody? Anybody Speed Racer fan? Thank you so much. Okay, um, so Speed Racer was really awesome. He had the Mach 5 car. I always thought I was going to have a Mach 5, but the car that I owned the longest in my life was a Honda minivan, so that didn't really work out too good for me. But, you know, Mach 5 and Speed Racer, you know, had like enemies that he was going up against, and there was Racer X. Remember Racer X, who was his long-lost secret brother, and it was a really crazy plot line and all that. Um, I wonder if you remember some of these other cartoon characters. How about these two guys? You remember Tom and Jerry? You guys remember Tom and Jerry, right? This was always their posture, right? Um, fighting, right? It seems like in many of these ones, at least when I grew up, um, the, the posture was that you had two people kind of going at one another. Tom and Jerry always went at one another, right? And then there was, of course, the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. Remember these two guys? Um, Wiley Coyote was always buying stuff from Acme, right? Like he would have dynamite shipped to him in the desert, right? He would open it up and it's a stick of dynamite, right? Then he would like throw it at the Roadrunner and the Roadrunner would look at it to the last second and then toss it to Coyote and he would, of course, catch it and blow up. And then 10 seconds later, be back, right? It was just fine. So that was a conflict. Here's another one. How about this one? Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbit. Okay. Um, they were always going at it, right? Those two always had a little feud going on. And maybe you remember this one, Yogi Bear and anybody that had a pick-and-nick basket, right? Always some conflict going on there, right? Um, but that was natural, right? That's kind of what we thought they were supposed to do. They were sort of kind of enemies that were kind of going at each other. And then sometimes in the cartoons that we used to watch and even the movies that we watch these days, um, there were characters that we thought were allies or should be allies, but they started to go against one another. Did anybody see the Batman versus Superman movie? Raise your hand if you saw this movie. Remarkably few of you because it was terrible. Okay? Um, I do not recommend you go and watch this. It's a really bad movie. It's not very good. But it does highlight this idea of two people who were supposed to be on the same team who end up putting, uh, end up fighting each other. And then we've seen that like in the Marvel Universe and of course in, in things like this where we saw um, Thor versus the Hulk, right? Do you remember one of those great scenes in one of those movies where the Hulk kind of knocks Thor through a wall and they become kind of enemies? Kind of, kind of strange when they're supposed to be on the same team, but they're not. Now, of course, this extends beyond fiction, right? To real life and even within the church, where you have people who are supposed to be allies, but instead 
Sometimes they're not. And we're going to kind of talk through that today because this is where John goes in our verses today. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. We're going to get to that in a little bit. He kind of gets to this point where he shows us that even all the way back in the first family, we see this kind of conflict where people who are supposed to be allies kind of go at each other. But I want to I want to set this up and show you a little bit more about what the Bible has to say about this and some other conflicts that, that we see in Scripture that maybe um, we kind of gloss over, but there were some real things that were happening. There was a confrontation between Peter and Paul. Now, if you remember Peter and Paul, two of the um, most stringent and most devoted followers of Jesus um, who traveled around sharing the gospel, who followed Christ, um, who wanted nothing more than to be a good disciple of Christ. But even those two, we found, um, were in conflict with one another. Um, this takes place in the Syrian city of Antioch. Um, where there's a community of both Christian Jews and Christian non-Jews, the Gentiles. And there was this big question about, should they observe the Jewish kosher, kosher laws of the time, right? And here's what Paul says happened, okay? Kind of soak this in. It says, later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. So here is, here is Paul openly saying, look how Peter blew this. Look, look how Peter... <laughs> was wrong, okay? It's pretty strong language. Paul accuses Peter of being two-faced, abiding by Jewish dietary laws when pressed by his fellow Jews, but freely ignoring them in Gentile company. And after writing this, Paul sort of disappeared from their company for a long time. Um, He went away from James and from Peter and from Barnabas. And then on the other hand, Peter had um, some rather negative comments for Paul. They are not as harsh in terms of name-calling, but you'll kind of get the flavor as we go through this one. It's in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Here's what it says. So it says, So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, speaking of this as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them hard to understand. Which, of the, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scripture. So here's kind of a little back and forth of just maybe a little bit of a jab at each other on some things. Two people who were on the same team for sure, but had some harsh things to say to one another. And that brings us to the verses that we're going to kind of jump into and examine today and think about in um, 1 John chapter 3. Okay? But a real quick reminder about what was happening here. Here is John, this older follower of um, Jesus, this apostle, right? And um, this had, some time had gone by, and he had sort of watched how Christianity was being lived out, how people were following Jesus. And he became concerned 
by some things that he was seeing. So he wrote these things down to say, look, here's what we were saying. Here's what we've always been saying. Here's what I want you to understand. Um, and I'm starting to see some things that I need you to pay attention to. There's some disturbing things here. And so we find these things um, unpacked in First John. And here's what he says um, in this particular set of verses that we're going to look at today. starts this way in chapter 3, verse 11. It says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So, um, to begin with, what's important to recognize about these verses is, is that scholars widely agree that what John was doing was talking to followers of Jesus about followers of Jesus. Okay? It's an inside conversation. In this context, when he says brothers and sisters, he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. All right? It doesn't mean that these ideas and these words and these things that John is calling us to um, don't apply um, outside of people who follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that they don't apply to people who are searching them. But he's talking to those who are following Jesus and claiming Christ, right? So it's an inside baseball conversation, right? Um, and there's a lot to consider that we're going to unpack this morning. And I want to start with something that was stark to me, um, and quite frankly, kind of hard to, to walk through this week, um, because the words aren't kind, the words aren't fuzzy, the, cur the words aren't necessarily warm. You know, many of us have read the second half of this where it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and it's, like, it's really inspiring, and we, we want to own it. But the things above that <laughs> are a little bit harder, okay? And so I want to start with the contrast and deal with that. Um, in First John, we're giving these extremes, right? He talks about love and he talks about hate. And he gets into this explanation where he sort of gives us these extremes of what um, the manifestation of those things are. He says, you know, hate, the ultimate expression of hate, he gets into the story of Cain and Abel, is murder, right? And so it's, you're kind of like, wow, you know, it's like really extreme, okay? And then the manifestation of love, the example that he gives us, is, of course, the sacrificial um, death of Christ on the cross for us, right? So it's this big, big extreme, one thing to the other. And theologian N.T. Wright, who thinks about things so well, examined this passage, and he had a pretty simple insight, and he said this. He goes, what distinguishes the children of God from the children of the devil is choosing love over hatred. And it's a really simple statement, but it's really heavy, <laughs> 
because um, John in these verses is comparing, you know, um, these, these, these pretty big extremes. And he's sort of saying, look, when you don't have love, it's, it's actually, you might be veering in toward hatred. You know, when we think about our relationships with one another, you know, inside this room, Christians who love Jesus, right? Rarely, rarely, I'll bet that we would put ourselves in a category when maybe we're not seeing eye to eye where we would say, well, I hate my fellow follower. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hate them. Really strong word, right? And, and, and John is setting this up this way, really getting us to draw in and really think about um, where our hearts are and what our actions are that connect to that. He's really, it's really stark, I think, to get our attention, to pull us really into it and to understand that there's a lot at stake here, okay? And, and then he kind of gets a little less dramatic where he says, um, it's, he gives a practical example. He says the difference, you know, what distinguishes um, the light and the dark, the love and the hatred, right, um, is what's in our hearts and if whether we meet people's physical needs, right? So even within that, he starts to sort of break this down a little bit. But I want to spend a little time on the Cain and Abel story, because I think it draws something out that's really important for us as we think about this idea of how we love one another, okay? Um, John brings this up, and if you remember the story, it kind of goes like this. Um, Cain and Abel, right? Abel is a herdsman, right? He's dealing with animals. That's the job that he's been given, right? Cain is a farmer, right? He grows crops. And one of the ways that God calls them to worship him is by giving them, by calling them to bring their first fruits. He's giving them this way to live. He's given um, them this way to, to sustain themselves. But he says, I want your first fruits. And the idea of first fruits is that um, God commanded from the very beginning for people to set aside, set aside a portion of what they make or what they earn or what they harvest or what they produce. The first portion of that as a way to honor God, to say, I acknowledge you, God, that you are the sustainer and the creator and that you, because of you, I have. <laughs> because of you, I am. So I give this over to you first. The best is for you. It's an understanding that everything that we have, um, everything that we own, and in fact, um, even the ability to acquire those things, all of it is this precious and amazing gift from God. It's not that God needs us to give this back, right? But he's calling us to obedience. And in the action of presenting these first fruits, we're being obedient to that. And Genesis tells us that while Cain and Abel were presenting their first fruits to God, God looked at Cain and rejected him. And he looked at Abel and accepted him. And as a result, Cain got very, very angry, and he rejected God's counsel to deal with his anger. And he took it out on his brother Abel by killing him. And it wasn't like an arbitrary thing God did when he did this. He looked at them for a reason and handled them in a certain way. In Hebrews chapter 11, as you study this story, you'll find where it says, Abel, Abel brought his offering with a heart of faith and devotion to God. So Abel really got it. Like he was, he was drenched in it and what it meant and who God was. And, and he was able to, to give his first fruits 
out of that because he wanted so much to be in tune with God, right? But then it goes on to say, um, Cain had a goal of manipulating God. He was trying to kind of look good to God, but not really have to make the sacrifice. Um, And so that's what we see going on here. Cain was trying to get God's blessing by trying to buy God off. Abel was more pure in his love for God. So why does John bring up this particular story? I think he does it because it gives us a glimpse of what, um, about what this idea looks like in the real world, okay? Um, he brings it up because this is a perfect example of the way the world interacts with each other. What's in your heart really matters. It's not just about what you say that counts or even about just what you do. Those things are important, but also what's in your heart really, really matters when it comes to your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because love, you know, love is just something that we can always sort of maybe examine and bump up against and figure out how well are we doing with that. You know, it's something that God gives us to sort of test where we're at. It's the mark and test of a Christian. You know, how do you know you're a Christian? By what? Your love. That's what God says specifically. In the book of John, John also writes about this idea. Okay? In John 13, 35 to 36, he says this, A new commandment I give you. You know, um, people would have understood that to hold some weight. <laughs> you know, it's like, here's something important that's coming. A new, oh, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, so he's like, look, first, love one another. <laughs> because... Because that's what God calls us to. And second, people are watching. (laughs) People are watching, right? Um, Now, you know as well as I do. And you have cringe moments, (laughs) like I do, I'm sure, where you see the inner workings of the church or the inner lives of Christians or the way that some Christians have interacted with one another and the way that it then looks... (laughs) On the outside, and you, like me, have cringed, right? And went, oh, (laughs) that's how we're being represented. That's how we're being portrayed. And it doesn't always feel good, right? Um, Some of you may remember an older hymn, okay? It's called We Are One in the Spirit. Now, the good news for you is that this hymn has a lot to say to us this morning. And the really good news for you this morning is I'm not going to sing it. Okay, um, because I do want you to come back. But here are, here are the verses, okay? It goes like this, and you'll probably recognize it as we go along. It says, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians. I guess I am going to sing it. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Do you remember this? Yes, right? And they'll know it's, and they'll know <laughs> we are Christians by our love. Wow. How will they know 
who we are, what we're about, who we represent, what we want to be, what we're all going to do in the world. (laughs) They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And the amazing thing about this story, about this hymn, it was written in the middle of the 60s civil rights movement. Okay, by a Catholic priest who was bothered by the church's response to what was going on and how Christianity had placed itself in that debate. And he was bothered by that. Okay? And he began to, to be more and more bothered by that and, and wanted to write something that youth, the next generation, <laughs> could latch on to as the perfect ideals of what God had called them to. And so they would sing this um, in a youth choir, right? And, and the cool thing about this, this hymn is that it goes on and it calls us to higher and higher ideals. It talks about this idea of walking hand in hand and working together and praising together because they'll know we are Christians by our love, or by our lack of it, (laughs) right? They'll know us by what we say and do. How do you know that you're growing as a Christian, that you're being sanctified, that the Holy Spirit is shaping you into someone who is more like Christ? Well, it's by loving others more today than you did the day before. Loving others more as you develop in your faith, than loving people less because of your faith. Now, that's a challenge. I would humbly suggest that at times the Big C Church is not seen that way. There are times when the Big C Church is seen as something that maybe we don't want it to be, as something that is a little bit sad because maybe um, all of us at some point have not quite lived up to what John is talking about here. And John's super clear. He's like not messing around. He's like, this isn't optional, (laughs) right? He says, the way we love others reflects the love that we have for God, okay? Loving others is not something we get to opt out of if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. I want to stop for a second, okay? And I read about something that I want you to do with me this morning that was really helpful as I, as I kind of did it myself this week um, and, and to sort of get us into this idea of thinking this a little bit, okay? Um, so here's the first thing I want you to do. Whether you're in this room or if you're online, I want you to do this at home too, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a look at Somebody in the room that you don't know, okay? You might, if you have to stand up and turn your neck, that's fine. Just go ahead and do that. Just look at somebody in this room that, you know, stare at them weirdly, okay? <laughs> all right, this is going to be great because everyone's staring weirdly, so it's okay, all right? Look at someone that you don't know very well, okay? And now, now find another person that you just don't know very well and just make eye contact, okay? And I want you to repeat these words after me. Are you ready? Hello, friend. (laughs) And now find another person that you haven't made eye contact with and say, hello, friend. (laughs) I was speaking at a uh, conference this summer um, with students, and um, we were talking through some different verses, and one of them was that verse, you may remember this verse that talks about how um, God loves us so much that he knows um, the number of uh, hairs on our head. 
Remember that verse? It's like God knows us that well. And so I had everyone in the room. I said, okay, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to grab their hair. So, right, no, don't do it. No, I'm not going to make you guys do that. But um, here's what I want you to think about. Now that you've done that, okay, now that you've looked into the eyes of one of your fellow congregants in the room here, or maybe several, I want you to, to acknowledge some facts with me. Okay, here's the first one. We need to see that the people around us are just people, right? We are just people. Um, Sometimes um, when we're talking about loving people, um, we really like it in theory. We like the concept of loving others, but when we're actually called to apply that love, it gets really difficult. We need to see that the people around us are just like us. We're all the same. People are people. Here's the second thing. Nobody <laughs> in here is perfect, right? Every single person in this room, um, every single person streaming at home watching us today um, has a certain type of brokenness. We all bring our brokenness to the table, and it affects who we are and how we interact with each other, but the good news is that we're all the same. <laughs> we all have some of that. And the third thing is this. We're all called by God to love the people that you just made eye contact with, right? It's a high calling. Seems easy, but it's not. We're called to love people outside this room. We're called to love people inside this room, right? And not just the ones that are nice to us, um, not those that just show love in return. We're called to love just as God has loved sacrificially. I heard this story this week. Um, It's about this woman that um, she'd been gone from her church for a couple of weeks. She walked back into the church and kind of came in through the lobby. And um, as she was making her way into that sanctuary, she saw another woman that she kind of knew. She'd known her for a while, but she wouldn't say that they were close. She knew her name and didn't really know her that much. Um, And she made a beeline for her and just gave her the biggest hug. And the woman was kind of taken aback by that. It was like, oh, wow. You know, didn't know what to say. And the woman didn't say anything, just walked away. And she sat down um, in the sanctuary and eventually the pastor came out and he goes, hey, um, great to see you guys this week. I just want to remind you of this big challenge that we're doing this month in church. We really want you to stretch yourself. Remember to go up and hug someone that you just don't like. (laughs) So, um, here's the thing I want you to remember real fast. I'm a huge hugger, all right? I like to hug, all right? And it's genuine, all right? And if you come up to me after the sermon and say, you want a big hug, I'm going to pretend that you still like me, all right? But um, here's, here's the thing. What John wants us to see here is that what we bring, especially here together in this setting at this table We need to understand that what we bring, our hearts matter in that. We don't don't get to just go through the motions with others because that means that we're going through the motions with God. It's not enough to claim distinction in the world that we do as followers of Jesus, but live like the world when it comes to loving one another. We can't stay isolated to one another as though the identity of our community would be maintained no matter what we do. Think about that. 
can the identity of our community really be maintained no matter what we do? Can we live up to these high ideals that John challenges us with if we don't think differently, if we don't actually act differently as he asks us to do? We got to look inward. We got to examine our attitudes. We got to put aside all kinds of things to get there. And John's pretty out front about this. And in verse 13, he even talks about this. He goes, hey, don't be surprised that the world may hate you. (laughs) And why does he say that in this context? God's way for us to love one another um, in the same way that we've been loved by God, it's, it's a love often that is in spite of the other person, in spite of you, in spite of me, about the way we are. Um, we choose to love one another in spite of whatever's going on, right? We, we fundamentally say whatever might separate us, I'm going to look past that because this is my brother, this is my sister in Christ. And it says the world looks at that and gets real uncomfortable because the world's way of loving is because of. <laughs> it's cause-based. You have to earn it, Right? So John says, well, we, should be, we shouldn't be surprised when people from the outside um, look at that and they get nervous about it. Because it upsets the, the worldly system. It's counter-cultural. Cultural. People who choose to follow the world's way are often entrenched in a system um, that loving God's way um, calls out the inadequacies of that. It calls out the inadequacy of the version of love that they're living under. It calls out how their own system of love really isn't love at all. It's something else. It's not really love. I think if John had one really big message for us, it's this. is that love really isn't love. Love really isn't love until it gets expressed. Until it really gets expressed. Think of our... Catholic priest who wanted to love so much, but he couldn't find what was happening in his situation. He, he needed to express himself by writing this hymn that has become so important to so many people. In verse 18 of these verses, John says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Another translation of the Bible says it this way, and it's really, man, it really got me this week. It said this, it said, if you see someone in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. (laughs) It's like all these opportunities are being laid before us all the time, where God's like setting us up. It's like like T-ball. And do your kids play T-ball? And the ball's on the tee, right? Of course, if I played T-ball, I'd probably miss. But the, the ball's on the tee, right? It's <laughs> Somebody who knows me really well back there. All right. Let's close in prayer. Um, it's like God's setting these things up, and he's like, hey, here it is. <laughs> and then when we miss it, He's like, oh, it disappeared, and you made it disappear. (laughs) I'm like, thanks, John. Pretty heavy, okay? John says some important things about love and action in the chapters and verses that precede the ones that we got to today. Here's a couple of things that he said that are so important. 
He says, people love one another when they keep God's commandments, right? Um, sometimes we think about keeping God's commandments and it seems really hard, right? And we're like, oh, we got to do what God wants us to do and try to follow through on these things because we know that they're right and they're good for us. Um, and his commandments are like the specifics of how to love or how to live out of a place of love, right? And, and there's that phrase that Jesus, it's like, I give you this new commandment, right? To love, right? And then John says earlier also, he goes, people love one another when they imitate God, right? No doubt in your walk with Christ at some point, someone you've thought, maybe you've asked the question early on, like, well, how do I, okay, I want to follow Jesus, how to do that? I was like, well, imitate Christ. <laughs> you know, what would Jesus do? You know, imitate Christ. And we think that's pretty tough to do, and we do our best to try to do that right. But then, in these verses, John kind of goes up another one. He goes, um, people love one another when they use their material resources to provide for brothers and sisters who are in need. And it's a really concrete example. So, so we're called to love in all kinds of ways. Love one another when we don't agree. Love one another when we have different views. Um, and certainly inside this room, when there are needs that people have, we're called by John, by God, to love one another by giving over what we have. I think, and you probably agree with me, I hope, that we're in a moment when Christians in the big C church, you know, the big church overall, um, there's a lot of things that we don't agree on <laughs> and that we're fighting about that get expressed in political ideas, that get expressed in all kinds of different ways um, by how we do this or how we don't do that. Um, and, you know, intellectually, I understand it. And, and it's been going on not just in the last 10 years in our country, but everywhere for a while, as we see in Scripture here. And so the thing that I kept asking about that was, well, I know that I can't fix that by myself, um, maybe individually, all of us making a contribution to that, we can, right? And I was thinking through, well, how did we see some of these things get resolved in the past? And um, Paul and Peter, um, if you go and search through, you find in Acts 15, um, they said this. They finally said, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the special favor of the Lord Jesus, they seem to be able to set aside some of the other little things that easily could have divided and been placed in the center of attention, even though they didn't deserve to be. Petty things, things that weren't all that central to the faith, things that um, people would latch onto and run with <laughs> that made things ugly. And they finally came down to this and they said, wait a minute, uh, we believe that we are all saved the same way. And I was thinking through um, one of the things that I um, most of my life have appreciated about our church movement, you know, um, Fairfax Church and the larger movement that we have been part of for a long time that's expressed in a church called the Church of God. That's a church that's around the world, um, Church of God, Indiana. And I remember my first initial exposure to it, because I'm grafted into this, um, this family um, and this theology, was a couple of important things that the founders 
um, were, were trying to say. They, they were looking at the world, <laughs> kind of the way we see it now and the way they saw it back then, and they were looking at churches and what they were saying and denominations and what they were fighting about and what they were insisting had to be central and all that kind of stuff, and they were a bit repulsed by that. And they were like, let's, let's talk about what we can agree on. <laughs> and and to, to make a longer story a little short, um, one of the basic things was like, well, who is Jesus? <laughs> Do we agree that Jesus came and lived and died for our sins? Is that central? And a lot of folks went, yeah, that's it. And go, well, let's build from that. <laughs> let's build from that. And see how we can do. Okay? Is the church of God perfect? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Not at all. Okay? Is any expression, any denomination, any Catholic parish, <laughs> both sides? No. Right? Not. But when we get into maybe emphasizing the things that don't matter as much and fighting about those things, it hurts us inside the church. And people are watching. And it's not always attractive. And I think John's trying to get us to think about that. There's an art museum in Texas that caught my eye this week. Um, and it has an exhibit called um, Picturing the Bible, the Earliest Christian Art. And one of the um, themes in there was Peter versus Paul to Peter and Paul. It's an exhibit called Peter versus Paul to Peter and Paul. And one of the one of the main things they have in this is because this is Texas, there's a belt buckle. Are you with me? Who's from Texas? Okay. Yeehaw. Okay. All right. There's a belt buckle, right? A lot of my friends that I know from Texas have these big belt buckles. And on this particular belt buckle, there's a picture of Paul on one side and Peter on the other, okay? And they're running together to embrace <laughs> where they found the common ground that was important to emphasize. Love is tricky. We think we understand it, and then we realize that we have very little understanding. We think we've kind of got it, and then we're challenged again. So how does God want me and you to love others? What does it look like? tells us back in verse 16, it says, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. John tells us that there's a pattern to follow, a model to follow. If we're going to choose to reject the world's system of love and care, we have to then choose to look at Jesus and to follow that. God gave us himself in Christ. Nothing else he could give that maybe we would be able to follow that. I want to close by reading you a little section of Scripture. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen. I just want you to hear it. It's in the book of Titus, and um, it's this uh, section of Scripture where a similar thing's going on. <laughs> okay? Um, lots being written um, to, to try to mend the schism that's happening inside the church that's affecting its outside look, and not only its outside look, but um, threatens its very existence <laughs> because of the fighting. And um, there's, a, there's this section 
where it's both challenging but also um, um, very, very helpful and I think very encouraging. And this is what it says. It's in Titus chapter Titus 3, um, 3 through 8. It says this. It says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. John calling us, these scriptures calling us to some higher ideals, some things that are hard, a refocus on what really Christ would have us be, and less emphasis on other things. Hard, <laughs> but worthy. Will you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, um, <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word when it does nothing but encourage us, and Lord, we also thank you for your word when it just challenges us, when it rattles us a little bit, and maybe it makes us just stop and think about how we live, what we've said, what's in our hearts, what we believe, those things that are so very important. Lord, help us, help us live in to be that heir. <laughs> Let us be those, those heirs, the inheritance of the perfect faith and the perfect example of Jesus Christ. Let us live up to that, starting in this room and then moving beyond these walls so that more may know you. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We lift these things up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.